Hello and welcome to Show Me The Money, the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with Jess Robinson and the wonderful Stephen Follows. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Jess? I'm very well, thank you. I'm back. <laughs> I have energy. I found some energy. I've got about one hour a week and I've decided to use it here. Oh, bless you. Well, that's it's well spent here. It's, it's, you Quick, know, it's running out. It's running for out. For the greater Quick, good. We have um, two brilliant stories and two listener questions. Well done. What accents will they be? We just don't know. Um, we may not know afterwards either. No, we still won't know. Uh, Netflix has a new strategy when it comes to making movies. It's going to release fewer movies and make them both bigger and better. When I say both bigger and better, it's, they're not just going to do two, right? <laughs> no, they're going to do two so big. I mean, they're going to be <laughs> ten hours long, and they're going to they're going to send you a bigger telly. Uh, it's going to be. I mean, IMAX. better would be good because some of them are a bit dodgy on there. What's the best one that you've seen that Netflix have made that you're like, oh, that was amazing? Oh, did they make the circle? Like, I I enjoyed that. The one with Emma Watson. What's yeah. Her face? Yeah, Watson. I didn't see that. Yeah, I um, yeah, I. I that's the only one that, I can remember that they've made. They they may have made other ones that I've loved. Well, this is the whole thing about like when we say they've made them, it's actually kind of a weird term because sometimes they are literally commissioning them like, as they would by a TV show where they're like, oh, we need a show that's like this. Let's go mm. and hire some writers or look for or hear some pitches or whatever, and then they develop the whole thing using production companies, but still like they're there in a traditional studio operation. And other times there have been finished films, uh, like. Coda, which was on Apple TV, that was at Sundance, and Apple went, "Oh, can we put our logo ahead of that and then put it on our channel and say we made it?" Oh. And the filmmakers went, mm, we, "We need some money for that." And Apple went, "Would you like a lot of money?" And they went, "Oh, well, we'll take that." <laughs> and then when it won the Oscar, Apple's like, "Oh, we won the Oscar," and you're like, "Okay, yeah, sure." But um, so yeah, Netflix have, have gone through this whole journey where they initially were buying content that other people either didn't want or it was a competitive price. Or they basically, it wasn't like you remember straight to DVD or straight to video, the straight to mm. Netflix was not a positive thing. Mm. Um, and it was self-reinforcing because they could only pick up films that weren't doing the theatrical run, which meant that the films they had weren't good, which meant that people didn't want them to go there. And so it sort of was cyclical. But as they started to get better and as they started to spend more money, if I'm honest, like they start funding films that no one else will fund or whatever, then you start, they start to be better, you know, some better ones out there. And also people stop, they lose that stigma. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we say made, it's really kind of loose. But in 2015, they only had two films that they said they'd made. And by 2017, it was 40. Uh, 2019, it was like 70. And last year, it was 154. This is just films, wow. this isn't TV shows. Yeah, and so um, uh, now it's we're on to sort of 60-odd uh, this year already, and there, there'll be more coming out. But they've mm. announced on an earnings call that they're going to change how they do it because they're kind of figuring out – they're turning on a dime. They're kind of like completely changing, as the other streamers are as well. They're sort of saying, oh, we don't quite know what to do. I mean, actually, to be fair to Apple, Apple have always said we'll make – pretty much two films and it'll be amazing they, they make a small number of bits of content but both amazon and netflix have been experimenting with different ways of like do we make lots of content do we make mm. quite diverse content do we just make really expensive stuff um and so what they've said recently is well what we're going to do is make more event films uh, you know films that are like oh wow look at that film okay. and so um that's the official definition of yeah, an event yeah, film oh like wow look at that film mm -hmm. um and so yeah they, i don't think they're necessarily going to spend less money overall they're just you know rather than making 
two $20 million movies, they might make one $40 million movie. Um, but we'll see if it has any effect because it's it's difficult to know how much the their content, uh, the, the actual content they have on the platform, or any individual movie, how that contributes to the whole because they have an advantage that studios don't have. So if a studio like Disney releases six movies in a row that flop, they're going to have a serious cash crisis and mm-hmm. they're going to have a serious problem if these are blockbuster movies, not just random six movies. Whereas Netflix... Their movies sort of sit on the on the library, and so when you're thinking about subscribing, you don't just think about what the new film is. You think about the new film plus the last ten years of content. Yeah, and, and the so whole they, series of the Gilmore Girls. Well, that's what everyone. Yeah, can you watch it for a fifth time all the way through? Um, <laughs> I can. <laughs> oh, I yeah, good. Do. I'm glad you're doing it out there doing the advanced do. research. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what you're thinking of. You're thinking of the like what they call the library value and the totality of all their content. Um, and also you can have things that are like Stranger Things was a sleeper hit. It didn't it didn't take off on the first day and, and then it sort of took off more and more and more. And so they kind of, they can ride it out. And so how much they choose to, um, what kind of content they choose to make or acquire mm-hmm. is less, we have less of a, a connection with how successful, what, what effect that has compared to like theatrical. We can see in the opening weekend, it's made X million or whatever, and we can see what the result would be and sort of work that forward. So I don't know. We'll see. They've got a, some big films coming out. So did you see um, a couple of years ago, Knives Out? Yes, I did. It was quite good. Um, I quite, did you like it? I didn't get all the way through it. Oh. Yeah. It's a murder mystery. How can you not stay until find out whether the butler did it or not? Because um, I didn't <laughs> see any blood or guns in the first five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Also, um, I may have not been in the right frame of mind to watch it, but uh, uh, but everybody said how great it was, so I need to give it another go because, yeah, I don't know why I don't know why we didn't we didn't stick with it. Well, you've you've got until later this year to hurry up because there's a sequel coming out, and oh. well, it's not really a sequel. It's a, what they're calling it is that there's going to be a Knives Out universe. Oh. Um, so the same character. Uh, which is played by Daniel Craig, Benoit Blanc, yeah, a master detective with yeah. a with a questionable accent, but <laughs> commitment to the role, which we appreciate. Um, but the first film was just a normal film; it didn't it didn't go straight to Netflix or anything. But it cost about forty million dollars, but the box office was about three hundred million worldwide. Mm-hmm. So it was a huge success, and people really enjoyed it. And Netflix have, have got the rights to make the second film, and so as I said, the budget for the first one was about forty million. Mm-hmm. The official budget for the sequel, which is called Glass Onion, a Knives mm-hmm. Out mystery. I, don't laugh. It's you can't laugh at this. It's a serious title of a serious movie. Well, it's Glass not, Onion. is it? Because it's a bit of a comedy movie. I think I didn't find it funny. Yeah, I don't know how much it's meant to be actually a comedy comedy, but it's supposed to be tongue in cheek. But it's difficult. The tone is strange. I get that. It's but I think that's the kind of um, Ryan Johnson, who's the writer director. He mm. does films so that he really jumps into the tone of them. So he made right. the second of the three most recent big Star Wars films, and it sticks out tone wise. Ah. Like there's a, there's a weird joke in it where you think uh, the Star Wars film, where you think there's a big ship coming, a pointy ship, and it turns out just to be like an iron, a close up of someone ironing their clothes. <laughs> And it's so out of tone with the rest of like the Star Wars universe that you're like, what? But I, I kind of like that. But um, I, uh, you know, it is tonally strange okay. anyway. But um, anyway, so the, the budget for the sequel, uh, for the production budget for making the film is probably about the same. People think it'll be about 30 to 50 million. Mm-hmm. But that's not how much Netflix paid. So Netflix bought the rights to make the sequels in an auction. Because the first film was made and it was relatively low budget. So probably Ryan Johnson, the director, probably had a lot of control over it. It's his production company. And so they auctioned the rights. How much do you think Netflix paid for the rights to make the sequel? 
Well, now. I think... Is this going to be a stupid one where they've actually paid more than it's going to cost to make it? I think it is. You don't is. get to ask questions when I ask questions. I That's think it's a business. Works. I think they've, they're doing it so they can have it, so they can take... I think they paid... Okay, let me let me help you then. Let me yeah. let me give you a clue. So one of the people who one of the other companies that bid for it, which would have been one of the other studios that lost, uh, we don't know who that person was, but they were Probably they were quite Amazon. senior and they were quoted in Variety. And their quote about how much Netflix paid was, "The math the math doesn't work. Yes, I think there yes, is no okay, way so to explain that, it. I'm going. The in that world direction. has gone mad. Yeah. It's a mind boggling deal. They paid eighty million. See, you can't boggle your mind enough to get around how mad this is. No. They paid $469 million. No! <laughs> they paid almost half a billion dollars for the rights to make two sequels. No! Yep. But what are they going to get out of that? I mean, four subscribers? I don't know how many people haven't subscribed yet. Um, not for Knives was... Out. Don't bother, guys. No, no, no. It's not Knives Out. It's Knives Out 2. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Very serious film. Um, and Daniel Craig will get paid probably more than $100 million or so to reprise it because he would have got... He wouldn't, it wasn't a very big budget film, so he probably got a big back-end deal. And then now it's done so it's been so successful, he was so integral to it, that people think that he'll get about $100 million. So Netflix are paying... And this was a, they did this at the beginning of last year. They're paying crazy amounts of money. And so they kind of need... They're doing this escalation that the studios have done over, over the years with blockbusters. When you spend more, you have to spend more in marketing to oh recoup the original God. money, which means it has to be bigger, which means you have to spend more. And you're in this sort of inflationary bubble. And it's quite a world away from where they were. Like Bird Box was very successful and that cost about 20 million. Oh yeah, uh, even Don't that. Look Up, that is like 75 million. Like these are not... I mean, Extraction was 65 million. That was quite a small, um, re re like, small ambition film when it comes to, like, a sort of more personal drama, even though it was a sci-fi kind of horror. Um, but, yeah, this is – so they're spending crazy amounts of money. God. And so I don't know – I mean, the Stranger Things series was about 270 million to make nine episodes. So oh. they've spent – not twice, maybe sort of, you know, uh, well over the, the price of an, uh, Stranger Things. Maybe all of the money they've ever spent on Stranger Things combined. I don't know exactly, but that's sort of ballpark for one. Uh, sorry, for two Knives Out mysteries. Um, so then, yeah, so that what they're deciding to do now is that all of these films have gone straight to Netflix because that's what Netflix want. But they are starting to think, Netflix are starting to think maybe they should put them in cinemas first to make them more of event movies. Because right. if they have a new movie every week, it becomes like a movie of the week. It doesn't become that valuable. You've kind of wasted your money because people blink. They were busy that week and your big movies kind of didn't really have the effect on the subscriber base that you want. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can make it the number one movie in the box office sensation, maybe you can earn a bit more money. But also you can then say, oh, look, it's a more valuable product. You're you lucky folk. Um, so they're talking to the cinemas and it, it might be that they actually succeed because when The Irishman came out, the Scorsese film, the only reason they put it in cinemas was to be eligible for the Oscars. And all of the big chains said no, and AMC and Odeon being the big ones saying, well, no, we're not doing that. And most of the reason was that Netflix had a short window between when it was going to be in the theatres and when it was going to be on Netflix. And I think it was about 45 days, which right. at the time was about like half of what they were used to. But post-pandemic, 45 days is becoming the new normal. Right. Um, so the world has changed. Although the cinemas have an extra issue with, with Netflix is when they have had films that have been in the cinemas and on Netflix, all the posters and all the marketing Netflix has paid for, they've never mentioned it's in cinemas. And so the cinemas are like, look, if we're going to show it, you have to tell at least a couple of people. Mm. 
You've got it. So maybe this, we, we don't know exactly, but we know that at the CinemaCon and a few other places that Netflix people have been meeting these big studio, uh, big cinemas. The cinemas need good content. They need big content. Netflix need to justify this amount of money. They need to have, and if they're choosing to go for these big big new films, which is what there seems to be their current strategy, then it would make sense for these two warring parties to sort of get around the table and say, okay, right, so we'll put your big movie, Netflix, uh, the AMC say, right, we'll put your movie Netflix on, on our big screens and it'll be exclusive for at least 45 days. You'll spend some money on advertising and you'll tell people it's in our cinemas. And then Netflix will be like, okay, fine, we'll get some money and then we'll, we'll have made a bigger movie, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So that might be a new strategy and they, they've got to do something because the Netflix have got two additional big problems at the moment in addition to all the things we've had before um because they were laying off staff they lay off two percent of their workforce a few uh, a few weeks ago and the two problems they've got one they're being sued by investors uh because they um in beginning of the year their stock price fell by 22 percent after they released their subscriber numbers and then it fell even further in April this year, falling by 35%. So they lost about 50 billion in capitalization. It's all made up numbers, but the <laughs> made up number got smaller. Um, and uh, that was a huge amount, losing a third of the value of your company because everyone was surprised by these these numbers. We talked about them on the pod. Like they were actually lost subscribers and they were expecting to get millions more. And the investors say, you knew this. And you've been fluffing the numbers uh, in some way, uh, technical term, yeah, a legal yeah. term. Um, you have had, had a fluffer at least, and they have been, um, Jess, easy. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so they're being sued for that. And that's quite serious because uh, the people are being sued personally as well, like the CFO and the CEO and stuff. I don't know if it will succeed or not. Who knows that these things. Are, um, but um, So they have that one problem that they perhaps have been telling everyone it's been really, really rosy. And I, I, I doubt they out and out lied, but they certainly would have had you know, important information they didn't release, perhaps. Um, and so that's kind of, in, they've got this concern that only as their stock price fallen, it might fall more, it also they're being sued. And then se- separately, their big strategy to try and succeed in growing, and we talked about this before as well, was to try and crack down on password sharing. Um, oh, yeah. They haven't announced who they're going after yet. So I Is think um, no, they haven't announced that personally, although it would be good timing for your Edinburgh show. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, no, but- I need it in Edinburgh. It's the only thing that keeps me sane. <laughs> oh my no. god! On day one, it turns out they change your password. No, and don't screwed. take it away from me in Edinburgh. But actually, that's a really good example, right? Actually, uh, because they did a trial in Latin America. They picked yeah. three countries and they said, like, right, we're going to try and cr- really crack down on passwords. And so you're only allowed to use your Netflix account for your household. And if you want to use share it with anyone else, you have to pay $3 extra a month or whatever. And it com- it caused complete confusion because what did they mean by household? Like, wh- what do you interpret as that? And by oh, the way, everyone yeah. interpreted it differently. But let's say, you know, Netflix Anyone can only be used by you your house. in your house. So here's the I... example. You, you go to Edinburgh. You're not living in the house for a month, right? You're living in Diggs or somewhere up, um, in Edinburgh. Yeah. Are you still part of the household? Oh, no. Well, yeah. Oh, get... so what happened? Well, loads of people got confused. And, they, and also, I think it's so, so cultural as well because... In Latin America, there may be very close people that you absolutely regard as part of your family and your yeah. household that live in a different place. Yeah. And so they never clarified this. And so lots of people got cracked down on, hence the point of the crackdown. And they were like, wait, no, that's my cousin. Like, I'm really close. Or maybe close to that. That's my sister, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, and again, the Edinburgh is a good example. Like, that's a, four weeks is long enough to say you don't live there in that moment, but obviously you're still on the bills and you're still, you, you still think you're part of the family. Yeah, mum doesn't even live be the, in the same house as me, but she lives in my heart. 
<laughs> but can the, can the password be in your heart as well? Um, but yeah, but I think also if you're the primary bill uh, payer, yeah, because um, you're out there earning the the big bucks you get yeah. in, in Edinburgh, you know, earning oh, at yeah, least a, yeah. one Netflix subscription a month, um, then you leave. Then does your household leave with you, or has has have you left the household, or has the household left you? And who knows? They didn't clarify it, and so really unless stupid. they figure this out, they yeah. can't actually do the thing they want to do, which is. You know, they've got 200-something million subscribers, but they think there's another 100 million that are sharing passwords. And I, probably half of them are from on using your password. Um, and they, um, they, if they can't figure out how to crack down on that, that's probably more important than having a new Knives Out movie. They'll have to say something like, it's the people that generally live at your billing address. <laughs> the catchy title. Yes. Well, see, yeah, it's a, it's a problem, isn't it? Because it, everyone has a different interpretation and flatmates and all that kind of stuff. Apart so, from your mum and your sister-in-law. Ex- they'll have to say that specifically. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the... There was a plan that one of the mobile phone networks did a while back where you had to pick your 10 closest friends and family. And that's just like, that's a recipe for pissing people off, surely. Like, mm. there's got to be people in there you don't want and some people you do want that you haven't got space for. And it's like a wedding, I guess. Oh, terrible. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, it, it's actually cracking down on password sharing so, sounds so simple, but because it's gone on for so long and people are so used to different things, actually, it's more complicated than you think because they're not designed to be personal. They're designed to be for the household, Right. each password. So we'll see. But the current strategy is let's make big movies, movies that go bang, bang, and we'll pay lots of money. And so uh, welcome to the roller coaster. <laughs> this is another day, another VOD Netflix story about like everything shifting all the way to the left for three days. We'll see how long that lasts. Very interesting. Now, um, our second story, which freaks me out a little bit, is an AI-based voice program produced Val Kilmer's voice in Top Gun Maverick. Tell me about this, please. Well, I'm seeing Top Gun Maverick tomorrow. So I have had a very, very delicate research process for this one. Uh. So um, I absolutely hope I've learned nothing valuable about the movie. Right. And I don't think I have. Um, But that also means that it might turn out that um, this, my understanding of it misses something. I don't think so. But we'll see. But um, but yeah, so Val Kilmer, he had throat cancer. Uh, he's had it for a while. And so his voice is, I think he's lost his voice. So certainly it's certainly nowhere near what it is now. And maybe he has actually lost it because he's done a lot of written communications and things. Um, but there is a, oh yeah, he's cancer free, but he's mainly mainly typing and text. Yeah. Um, but there is, for an unknown reason that none of us shall speculate or even research or look up, he's needed to say some things in this new movie. No one is going to spoil for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because he played um, uh, the Tom Cruise's nemesis yeah. in Top Gun. Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, Iceman. Yeah, exactly. He played Batman. Uh, <laughs> it's a Tom Cruise's Maverick. Uh, I would absolutely watch that mashup. Absolutely. <laughs> because the thing is, it would be Top Gun being, uh, it would be Tom Cruise being all Top Gunny. And then next to him would be like a Batmobile. Yeah. And like, I, and then sort of Wonder Woman visibly in her kind of like invisible thing. I, I would absolutely watch that Marvel I mean, mash- I think that uh, I mashup. should be making these big new movies for Netflix, by the way, because they would be insane. I don't, but the thing is, you can't think big enough. You could only think it, you know, stupid amount of money was 80 million. You need to think half a billion. So you need to be, you need to think of stupider ideas. Okay. I think you're still being too sensible. Sure, I'll pitch something. I think Lego week. Batman was the answer. <laughs> something like that. Um, but yeah, so, and they used a, a company called uh, Synantic who do AI generation of voices. And the funny thing about this is that the actual fact they did it is not surprising. It's not news. You can buy software that you can train with your own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's actually been around. What's 
what well, the impressive bit that they, they did here was that they actually didn't have much clean audio because if you you can buy some you subscribe to something for a few bucks a month where you there's one called descript i think where you just and you basically talk for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and you make sure you're making all the sounds they want and it's clean audio and they can use that to replicate your voice and the more audio they have the better it is and and there's some things about intonation and things like that are tricky but ultimately it's now commonplace technology as consumer level what was here was tricky was that they didn't have very much clean audio because almost all the audio they have of movie stars is they're in movies with background noise and music and you know you don't usually hear so it'd be much easier to replicate your voice as, as an audio performer than it would be someone who uh, has been in movies where things are often shouting and exploding which is mm-hmm. most of his movies so um but they did it with his permission and he probably got somewhere between half a million and two million dollars for being in it um but it's not the first time that it's been sort of semi-controversial because I hope there was got Anthony... more than half a million well if they used his voice he didn't i don't think i don't think he had to turn up on set so this is voice actors speaking up for voice actors isn't it <laughs> yeah. this is an inside job yeah. um but there was a, a documentary called Roadrunner about uh, Chef Anthony Bourdain that was made after he passed away. And uh, this no one knew about this for months, but it just happened to come up in a New Yorker article. The director said, oh, by the way, 45 seconds of the audio of, of Anthony talking is not him. It's AI generated from from his from what he'd written. Right. So they generated his voice from his previous voices uh-huh. um, recordings, and they also used text that, he, that the, the chef had written. So they were saying it's still authentic. And they were sort of saying, look, it's like when wildlife programs do close-ups in, of pl- flowers growing or animals giving birth or whatever in a zoo or in a, a studio. But there was a lot of people going, mm, not sure, including Anthony Bourdain's widow, who was like, I do not think this. Anthony it would have hated this. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of – and there's been loads of examples of – I mean, as I said, it's now consumer grade. There was um, – uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, well, we'll call it a bank heist for a dramatic effect. But some uh, in the UAE, uh, thirty-five million dollars was stolen from because the guy used deep fake technology Brilliant. to call up and be like, "Hey, it's me. You know me, Mister Banker. Yeah, uh, yeah. And please, can I have my some of my money put into this shady guy's account?" And they were like, "Yeah, sure, go for it." I mean, if anyone um, wants to do that on the cheap, then I'll do the impression. So, so if I stole your voice, yeah. what's the most amount of money I could con someone into? Like, where, where would your voice open the most door? You'd, you'd have to pay off my overdraft first. Yeah, I was going to say, I know, there might be a trap. If you were going to if you were gonna steal anything from me, you'd have to uh, invest a bit first. But, okay, joke, genuinely, do you, are you concerned as a professional voiceover artist that in your in the future of your career it's going to get to the point where when somebody wants a voiceover they'll just type it and hit and generate it like they can with Siri or Alexa right now yeah and well, you'll be out of work yes I am I am uh, worried about that I can do a very good sat nav voice but um no I go on then go and go, go and do it oh fuck go off on. man <laughs> um <laughs> sorry it was but very I, good um, I but I've I've been the bad guy as well, sort of. Oh. So I have done like um, in-house projects for Marks and Spencers and things like that, where I have had to be Olivia Coleman, <gasps> because you know whew, they couldn't get her to do it and say this isn't just any uh, silk scarf. This is a Marks and Spencers silk scarf. Gosh, lovely, isn't it? I need to have that scarf. I need to go and buy it. (laughs) So, 
Yes. Yeah, so I've I've been the bad, you know, not the bad guy. And they are they portraying, are they pretending it really is her? And have they had her permission or? No. Do you know what? They have, they, they are sort of doing a pitch in-house and saying, right. this is what it would sound like if Olivia, if we got Olivia to do it. Type well, that thing, sounds and then fine. Pay me that sounds peanuts. reasonable, doesn't it? Because they're yes. mocking it up in the way they might mock up a poster or. They didn't like, pay yeah, me and Martin Spencer's peanuts. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's sort of like a mock-up thing, but I do know of celebrities who have got really annoyed and um, uh, and um, sort of started legal proceedings because there have been adverts and things with a very much sort of a sound alike of their voice, mm. which is their brand. And, you know, yeah. where, where's the line? Well, exactly. And there was a TikTok user who um, she had, uh, oh, no, sorry, TikTok were being sued by a voice actor where she had um, agreed to do voice recordings for a, an AI voice company a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then they had sold sold those rights to TikTok and t- TikTok used it for their text to speech thing, which was on almost all TikToks. You know, it was mm-hmm. on so many of them that billions and billions, I don't know the numbers. And so she sued TikTok saying, you don't have the right to my IP. And that's been really interesting because I I don't know the legal rights. I don't know who's actually in the right or wrong, but certainly morally you can understand that. And I I, I do know, I'll be quite cagey so I don't get them in trouble. I do know a voice performer who is one of the major voices for one of the major things that generates it. And they were paid a lot of money over a lot of time to record. They went back, they went over to the States a lot to record all these different noises and sounds and stuff. Whereas What's happening now is that you can they can train it in 15 minutes. So the technology has become so much easier that it's just you wouldn't do the way that this person did it whenever it was a decade or so ago. Uh, they went over a lot to record lots of nuance, whereas now you really don't need to do that so much. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and it's the fact that it's being used in movies. There was... Um, is interesting. There was a company uh, that was announced earlier in the year where they can use less successfully than voices, although it still looks good. They can digitally replace people's m- lips God. in a movies so that you can. But the, the reason they did this was that to avoid subtitling, because when you have a foreign language film, you either subtitle it or dub it. Yeah, dub it is that. just you know, yeah, exactly. Whereas one on the, Netflix the problem with at the moment I've just done called oh really? Yes, Which one? it's called Baby Fever, um, but in. Um, Denmark, it's called Skruk. <laughs> and I redubbed the, the main person. And, but do, did you have to match the lips? Or yeah, did you... God, my God, it's so painstaking. We'll, we should, we'll go into that on another... Um, let's do that on another episode because yeah, I will tell definitely. you how very little I got paid for that and how much I did in the way of rewriting and hours and, oh, my gosh. No, thank yous. Well, well, one of the, the new technologies, the idea is that you could record, re-record the dialogue and then the, they could CG the lips so they match. That's a really because if you idea. grow up in a non-English country, you're probably fine with dubbing, not matching the lips. But you and I both grew up here and so we find it quite jarring so when we weird. see something. Yeah. It is weird for us, right? And yeah. so that when you can start recre- recreating voices and you can redo the lips and stuff like that, we, we are crossing into this world. I mean, I said we're already in it for, for voices and mm. we're going to be very soon into it for lips and stuff if people want to use it, where we can use AI and, and just CGI to really manipulate the image and really make what we're seeing less 
like actually what it was made and it's more of like my version of it because why not you know once you can do that why can't it be done on the fly why can't my choose what accent the netflix characters have and then i don't know it's um we're in we're entering that world and so this the reason this story is interesting is just because the val kilmore because it's in the big movie of the year of of the week and Mm. also because they did it from such a tiny amount of source material um and so yeah it's a it's the future that's very amazing that would be a oh god yes that would be amazing to do dubbing jobs where I, it could just be my mouth. Well, the problem is it wouldn't just be you. It would it, 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 ultimately that would be like a year, and then after that they'll just use a robot, oh, and no. you wouldn't get paid. Oh my gosh, they're taking over the world. Um, and did you see that thing about the guy who was dismissed from Google because he was <laughs> worried that that it had become yes. sentient? So I, I, I have having to look to... this up, but. I'm having to be a bit cagey because I actually do have a project that involves art and science and AI that I'm doing in the background. I'm trying very hard not to say anything. This summer, I will I will share all. Oh um, but it means that I'm spending a long time reading about AI and interviewing people and stuff. And so, yeah, this particular one is is fascinating because it's the guy who he's dealing with Lambda, which is their Google AI. And he said it's become sentient. And then the, Google say that he was um having a tough time mentally and wasn't being a good employee and so that's why we let him go he says they let me go because i knew it became sentient and what the main thing for me is that the story people want to talk about ai and the story is going everywhere because i I thought it was just in my little crowd of like the scientists i'm talking to and stuff but actually it was it's come up here instagram exactly it's come up here (laughs) although i gotta say in all of this research i you sometimes you find people just exaggerate these stories. So I read a headline yesterday that said, um, Mark Wahlberg is using AI to decide what you eat. What? And I was like, well, that's a great story. I've got to read that. That's, I'm sure it's not true. Um, and I read it and it's absolutely not true. There, it's something really obscure, like his company, his Wahlburgers burger chain that he, he owns, but I'm sure he doesn't run day to day, uses AI to work out what menu items to show. But I, I don't know. It's something so tiny. Right. But I just like the headline, Marky Mark is using AI to tell you what to eat. Because I quite like that. He looks like a guy who knows what to eat and I never know what to eat. <laughs> and so I would absolutely let Mar- Marky Mark me, use AI. Talk. Yeah, just. Tell me what to do, dude. I'll absolutely do it. If I end up jacked like him, great. But um, yeah, Marky Mark and AI can take over the world together and I'd be all right with that. Well, well, we'll, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> You'll have a lot more time as an unemployed voice recorder, human voice recording artist. <laughs> oh, there's a lot. Oh, I'll tell you what, actually, if anybody's listening that knows about deep fake technology and can do it for me, Please get in touch because I oh, you're gonna needed. Absolutely thing. regret that, but let's do Will it. Will I? <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Will I regret it? I really need. Oh. I need. I need some deep fake stuff by um, July, please. Thank you. Oh, you meant professionally? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I'm sure. Some, I'm sure that we'll put the word out. There we go. Yeah, I don't. So, I'm not saying put my head on a porn movie or something. Don't do that. Good. Now then, uh, first, we've got two listener questions. The first one comes from James Hicks from Azerbaijan. <laughs> okay, good. 50-50. He's from Azerbaijan, 50-50. He's decided to try and give you the accent to do. Oh, you bumhole. Oh, yeah. Well, Whatever it is, hero. <laughs> thanks, James. Um, I happen to know that James is um, sounds like a little cartoon boy. That's fortunate. Yeah. So, um, I'd like to ask Stephen about 
producer's credits. He mentioned a few episodes ago that Jess could get an associate producer credit as a writer. What is that? How many do they give out? And how much do they get paid? That was featured on Noddy. <laughs> That voice, um, trying Which to think what else. absolutely means we 100% don't have the rights to use that voice. Why, it's my voice, man. Uh, no, you I mean, it's it. James. It's just James. James, James is voice Well, yeah, as long as it's a fashion. Azerbaijan, I can't even say it. Wow. So, yeah, associate producer credits. So, yeah, I, this is when we were talking about, um, uh, you were complaining that in our mythical film of your book, um, that I, I don't, I'd given you 10% of profits, but when we broke it down and looked at it, you wouldn't get any money from that. And you seemed bizarrely miffed by that because 10% is a big number. And as a pl- to placate you, I offered you an associate producer credit. And I, th- I don't know if, I think it worked. Did it, do you, do you want an associate producer credit? Um, have, have two maybe? Would you like a third? Oh God. I'll have 10. <laughs> okay, it doesn't 10 do anything, associate James. producer credits. <laughs> you can have if it's one. being offered to you by a film producer it's not valuable yes um so uh, let's so there's no union although there is a union for producers but it's not the kind of union that there is for everything else so in america mm-hmm. the writers guild of america wga and the directors guild of america dga they, they have very strict rules about like crediting and things like that whereas the pga the producers guild of america doesn't have any restrictions so it's a wild west of like whatever whatever the people in charge want to do and and i have a friend who recently made a film that's got loads of producers loads and loads of producers um so there are different types so the the i'll go through them in sort of probably in seniority order although on the film although some people could be more important than others in life uh so um we've got five types so you've got a producer it's just a producer credit and you could have one person or multiple people you could have three people getting a producer credit i think for the oscars they had one year they had because the the official oscar the best picture that's a producing award Right. So they have a best writer, best director, best actor. There's no best producer because when you win best picture, that's the producing award. So the people that officially win that mm-hmm. are the producers. And they had one year where five or six people went up because they're all producers. And so the the Academy said, right, three producers, that's the limit. You have to tell us if there are more producers, which are the three that are going to get the Oscar officially, their name will be on it. They will get a statue. Everyone else wouldn't. And so the producer is the top credit, the main credit, just producer. They're like the CEO of the whole film and it might be them or a few people. Then the next one is the executive producer. And again, we're now moving more into vagary because it doesn't officially mean anything. It tends to mean a powerful person who helped get the film made in a big way, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't expect them to be like wearing on phones, like organizing things. Like they're not the CEO like that. They're more like the chairperson of the board rather than the CEO. So they have status probably. So maybe um, it might be a performer in it, but probably someone who brought the money in or the studio or whatever. So that's an exec producer. So an exec producer credit means something. It's vague, but it mean it sort of shows that you're powerful on that film in some way. Um, next, you've got a co-producer. So a co-producer is someone who absolutely almost certainly did a lot of work. So they might be that they were, if you're filming like 20% of your film in France, you might have a co-producer in France who is the producer of the French bit. Um, Or they might be involved in a certain element, or they might be just a very non-senior producer who still did a hell of a lot of work. And so co-producer credit, people, it's not very senior within producers, but it does mean that you did a lot of work. You know, you actually worked hard. Uh, Penultimately, we got line producer. So this person worked even harder, probably. So they're in charge of the physical and logistical uh, part of making the film. So they probably don't come on board until you have a 
a, a script and a budget and a, you know, and they'll build the schedule and they're the one that really made it happen so a very logistically complex film so like let's think about a bond film that happens all over the world with all sorts of things if you got the if you were hypothetically the line producer of the bond film everyone would raise their eyebrows and be like wow you made that happen. That's really impressive. Um, it wouldn't get you into parties as much. I'm the line producer, don't you know? Um, but it would get you respect for the work you've done and okay. something like that. And then there's the associate producer, which um, is David Mamet described it as is what you give your secretary instead of a raise. Oh. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good movie that that's from called State and Maine from Brilliant. like 20 years ago. And Brilliant. it's a movie about um, a big movie going into a small town. And it's just great. It's David Mamet, so it's filthy and like mean. And, but um, uh, yeah, so it's it's the most nebulous. It's a catch-all term. You don't lose anything by awarding it to anybody. And historically, maybe it meant something. I mean, if you go back 50 years, then it, it meant more of what a co-producer credit is. But people have sort of, there's this inflation now. People know that an associate producer credit is a basically a go away. It doesn't really mean anything. Sure, you're a producer. I wouldn't, like, if you, to, to if you're in the industry, to accept an associate producer credit is, like, you, you might decide not to. You might decide to have it, but it would be like, well, am I signaling that I'm a newbie? That I don't yeah. know what this is. Yeah. And certainly you wouldn't go around flashing it if you went, hey, I'm the associate producer of this, which is unfair to some associate producers because there must be some that have worked really hard and actually, like, that's a real shame. Um, but I, I wanted to test this theory um, a while back when I was looking at producer credits. I was doing some analysis on it. And so I looked, just to sort of find a clue, this isn't definitive, but to have a clue of like, okay, so let's say somebody had got one of the non-producer credits, so exec, co-associate, uh, line, or assistant producer. Um, how likely were they to go on to be a main big producer and associate producers really not very often it's like under 10 percent of associate producers end up becoming producers mm-hmm. um full producers whereas execs it's a moment so it is as i said the the glib line which is unfair on some people but largely true is it's what you give your secretary instead of a raise wow. and so the what i was doing this is a long tortuous thing of me explaining a joke from three weeks or three weeks ago was um uh, you were asking for more actual money yeah. and me in the role of producer was thinking would you like some vanity <laughs> some ego boost like a title because it's free and um it usually works not people wow. who've been around the industry for a long time but um it sounds good right well i'm going to turn that down then what's next <laughs> in the, in no. the what's next in, um, what, in the what, journey to get my my movie on well, um, oh, the next, oh, I thought you meant next trying to convince you as a writer to sign on board. Oh, no, good. All right. Um, um, I was thinking, what next trick can I, you know, trick you with? Would you like more tickets oh, no. to the premiere? No more um, yeah. Yeah. So we, <laughs> so let's say that we, we've got your script and we've got the director. Um, we've got to start thinking about where we're going to film it in the world. So it might be something that we, we've talked a little bit about tax credits. So it might be one of those things we think about where in the world we're going to film it and what's okay. the cost of filming it in Australia, but saving money. And, and also, can we change it so that it now says that um, China is wonderful because we could then make it in China? Of course. Um, we get the can your film be a pro-China film? film it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's, let's decide what the priorities are. As in, like, they can decide whether it's all about money or whether it is about the locations or, or um, money or art. Let's choose. Money or art. Okay, guys. It's a guys. very different path Money this. or art. I know which one I want. <laughs> Our, our second question comes from Joseph from Boston, Massachusetts. Mm, do you, though? This is an accent. Plus, you can I do. can't do Boston. Sure. Yeah, but you can do. Oh, that sounds like one you could do. That's like The Departed. I'm sure it's just. 
Give it a go. I, oh, that's my thing. No, I can't. I absolutely can't do Boston, but I can do another character from Noddy, which is the panda who we uh, we uh, decided to put into. Um, we dubbed her into American after the English Noddy came out, and she's basically like a little sort of Liza Minnelli. Anyway. It's a sort of, you know... Anyway, here's Joseph's question. Since Stranger Things 4 is the most popular show in the world, apart from Naughty, I was wondering what kind of compensation do the creators and actors get? I know in traditional television, they would get royalty checks, but I don't think streaming works in that way. How does it work? She's good, isn't she? She's Pet Pet the Panda. I'd like her? to not like it, but it's very good. And I'm very <laughs> much enjoying it. So I think it might be here to stay. I've really Noddy brought the tone the of, of this podcast down. Well, considering what you said and spoke about last week, I don't think you could have done. So this we've now gone family friendly <laughs> as opposed to you talking about your dates and what people did on those dates and, you know, things like that. I'd, I'd block that out. I forgot about that. <laughs> don't go back and listen to it. No. It's filthy. Don't it's filthy. do it. Sorry, sorry Mum. But yes, so let's talk about the, the, the cast uh, payments in um, Stranger Things. So And also about, like, royalties and things like that. So the the listener is absolutely right. Uh, for So the unions have negotiated with the studios over the years the system of what, what the minimums actors and performers have to be paid and also a royalty, um, what they call residuals, every year uh, to get more money. And so the the stars of Friends are sort of talking about how they still get big checks every week, uh, sorry, every year because the, it's still being, you know, sold to streamers and still being broadcast on TV. And so there is a whole percentage. So we have to work on these two things. We have to work on the, the upfront fee and then also the percentage, the residuals. And uh, the, what was... There was this gray area around streaming, and it's still grayer than television because television, the the deal has been, you know, television hasn't changed very much in its big conception for a long time, whereas this streaming thing is new. So they've started to use the TV deals, but they have also got what they call a a subscriber bonus. Sorry, the subscriber factor, which is a multiplier that they use to affect the TV um, rates. So you take the TV rates, and then if you're a really small uh, lower tier um, streaming service, then you, it m- might be 20% of the rates. But for the largest ones, for Netflix, it's 150%. So uh, they, are, they, are, they have already started to account for the fact that essentially Stranger Things, it's not traditional television, mm. but there's no reason they shouldn't get the same kind of deal as a traditional television show. Um, so let's start with the minimums and then, uh, spoiler alert, they're, they're not being paid the minimums, they're being paid more than that. Sure. Um, but so the, the union itself... Uh, it's called SAG-AFRA, um, and it's it's basically an amalgamation of two unions. There's SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, right. and then there's ADFRA, which is the American Federation of TV and Radio Artists. Both are very old unions from like the 30s and the 50s, respectively, and they've come together and fairly recently. But I'm, I still think of them as SAG because that's one of them. So I'm, I'm probably going to use the word SAG, but I mean SAG-AFRA. Um, and they have these agreements that they tweak the numbers every year of how much the minimum of an actor can be paid. So on like a an, what they call ultra low budget movie, mm-hmm. so ultra low budget is a defined term, so it's under $300,000, the minimum an actor who's in the uh, SAG union can be paid is $211 a day, which is not very much. No. Um, 
and so that might involve a long day and obviously there might there are rules around things like costume fittings and travel and stuff but that's the lowest that you could start with let's say an ultra low budget film under three hundred thousand pound budget is a very low budget film well certainly for a union project it's still not an insignificant amount of money but for a union project that's going to be quite tricky so you're going to have to have very few actors because it multiplies up quite a bit Mm -hmm. um but then that goes up so if the budget of the film goes up if the budget of the film is between three hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars, then the day rate goes to three seventy. If it's between seven hundred k and two million, the the day rate is now six eight six. So that's now gone up three times from the low budget. And so you could be doing exactly the same job. The set could look the same. It's just that it turns out the budget is significantly higher for the rest of the stuff, and you'd still get paid more because you're on a bigger project. Yeah. Um, and then if the movie is more than two million dollars then the basic agreement is about a thousand pounds a day for an actor um 1800 uh, sorry 1088 um and so then that's your day rate for how many days you turn up and then also they will come on to residuals in a minute so they have a variation of that for tv that's done like depending on whether you're a regular or one-off and so if we jump to the largest tv one so Mm -hmm. if you're a series regular so if you're in 13 out of 13 episodes yeah. uh, of a show that's at least an hour long, you will get uh, £4,500 a week, a dollars a week, 4500 a week. Um, and so you're doing quite a lot of weeks because let's say it's 13 episodes. Let's say they're shooting, you're shooting for 13 weeks. That's an assumption, but that's that's a lot, right? That's, yeah. you know, you're, you're on over 50 grand. I mean, gross. So you've got to take off tax and uh, agent and manager. And, you know, like it, these numbers always sound bigger than when you end up getting your paycheck and you end up being able to pay your rent with it. You're like, where did all my money go? Um, and it is expensive to do this. And there'll be a lot of times they're out of work. But so that's what we're, so we're talking there about like people getting five, six thousand dollars a week as a minimum. The Stranger Things team <laughs> would got slightly more. Oh. Um, so in season one, and apparently season two is the same. I'm not so sure about season two. Uh, season three is the one that's just come out. But so season one, they obviously didn't know how big the show was going to be. So some of the um, some of the younger kids, there's like three tiers. They've they've then this is now not union anymore. This is what the producers decided to create for Stranger Things. They said, all right, we're going to have an A, B, and C tier. So the A tier is Winona Ryder and David Harbour, and they were getting sort of something like a hundred. I think he was getting eighty grand. Uh, for the per episode 80 grand per episode and she was getting 100 grand per episode because mm-hmm. she's the most famous then the b tier would be all of the young teenagers who are the stars and they were on about twenty thousand an episode and the c team we don't know what the c the, the c tier got but it was probably it wasn't very much but now so then, then when the season one did well they all got a six a sixty thousand dollar bonus mm-hmm. which no one had to do but at the same time <laughs> you know netflix would have said something like oh the Season one did really well. We were really surprised. Um, have some money. By the way, can we talk about the next season? <laughs> Please, can you come and do it? So there is lots of stories. It happened after Shrek as well, because Shrek, not people weren't paid that well for Shrek because it wasn't the age where people, the celebrities got loads of money for animation. They weren't expected to be that successful. And they were sort of having to wine and dine the stars to get them to do Shrek 2 onwards. And when I say wine and dine, I think they gave them a Rembrandt. <laughs> Or something like that. They oh gave my them like, God. yeah, millions and millions. I can't remember if it was actually a Rembrandt, but it was a famous painting. And so, I, I from what I understand or sort of infer, maybe the, the all the cast were were signed up for season one and two. So season three was the one that they all had to go back to the negotiating table for after this big success of season one and two. So the amount they got paid went up significantly. So 
the C tier, so these are the people who the kids are in it who aren't the major kids, they're on about $150,000 an episode. There's right. nine episodes, so that's quite significant. Then the B tier, which is sort of Millie Bobby Brown and people like that, they're on about like 250000 maybe 300000 an episode, so quarter of a million dollars an episode. Mm-hmm. And then Winona Ryder and David Harbour are on about a third of a, a, third of a million per episode, 350000 Um And then they'll get the residuals. And so residuals, normally it's when it's broadcast, and so it's tricky to understand when is... Netflix broadcasting it and Netflix aren't sharing viewing figures so the unions had to figure out a way of saying plus you have to give the money every year so there is a percentage of the amount they got they get again uh, for the so in the first year so actually so year one, year one they got the original money they got but in year two they get 40% again year three they get 35% year four 25 year five is 20% and it goes down so after sort of year 12 they're getting one and a half percent of their original fee every single year right so we were talking about netflix having this library of content that's great but that's not just you know um cost free you add up all those residuals across all of those shows although some of them may have been non-union or i mean like squid game for example is the highest watched netflix show of all time i, I think it. Right now. i still haven't seen it it just doesn't strike me it seems a bit bleak and I, mm. if i want bleak i'll watch the news that's why i didn't like knives out <laughs> I, want, I want something <laughs> i want something Wait, horrifying you think that knives out is like the news oh you, you're saying you wanted something bleak and, and you wanted actual knives out yeah uh, and here it was a metaphor yeah for people having their knives out and you're yeah. like where are the knives i want them out i want them slashing <laughs> Well, all right, fair enough. I can see I can see why you were oversold on that. But there weren't any squids in Squid Game, were there? No, I didn't but there might it, be in the I don't second think it's series. I feel like there should be some electric eels or something, hor- you know, something really horrifying. Mm. I'm well, uh, to uh, it. Uh, the guy's <laughs> but, hair but, at the end, if anyone's watched it, who... Wait, spoilers, spoilers. spoilers. I don't know people's haircut at the end because then I can infer the plot. But the, the Squid Game was made outside of the union, so they didn't get paid very much money at all. Um, we don't know how much they're getting, but they got uh, they did get a one-off bonus at the end, but some of them described it as not life-changing money. So I don't know what not life-changing money is. It's difficult to know how much would change your life, but they're not getting much. Hmm. And so what often happens in these kind of, if you look at the numbers, is that the first season, people get paid very poorly. Um, Brian Cox turned down Game of Thrones because he said it really wasn't very much money. Uh, he didn't say what that was. He just said it really wasn't very much. Mm. But then as it becomes more successful and as the power changes, then they can negotiate far more. And so the same thing has probably happened here where they didn't get very much to start with and now they're getting a lot. And so that's why sometimes you'll see uh, networks or whatever cancelling a show that seems successful because they just can't afford to keep making it. Because even if the making of it... I mean, Knives Out's a great example. The The budget for the second one is probably going to be the same as the first one. But plus, Daniel Craig is getting $100 million. Plus, they had to spend half a billion to get the rights to make it. So it gets ludicrously more expensive to make more of a successful thing. Right. Because everyone knows that you need it. But also because maybe... I wouldn't say you screwed them on the first one, but they definitely, you got the better deal. Yeah. When they weren't famous and the show wasn't famous and you didn't get paid very well, now it's your payday. Which, I mean, seems fair. I don't know. Um, are you doing later seasons of Noddy where you get to ask for $350,000 an episode? Sadly, Noddy has finished. DreamWorks didn't want to make any more. Oh, is that why? I don't know why. It was the talent costs. <laughs> they got them, but they got such good value well, for money with me. I you, paid you about priced 50 characters. <laughs> Do you get residuals on that kind of stuff? Or is it like you get a one-off fee and then you're done? 
No, it's a. Uh, I think it's a one-off fee, and then I'm done. Um, whereas with some things like there are there are some comedy shows that I've done like Dead Ringers or some kids TV stuff or some some sketch shows or whatever that I will still get a tiny windfall from every now and then. You know, I'll get I'll get something from backs, which is our um, uh, equity, and um, and we just you know I'll get a statement through saying. Gogglebox, 79p or something stupid like that. So I was about to say, it's, it's beer money. It's not like mortgage it's money. It's not even it? beer money. But yeah, no, it's not mortgage money. <laughs> no, but my grandpa but it's, it was a... can add up, I guess. Yeah, my granddad was a jazz pianist and he was in a film called Sundowners. Um, and mm-hmm. he's, this is back in, I don't know, the sixties or something, um, playing the piano in a pub and he still gets money comes through to my mum and wow. her sister for that. And there was a show that used one of his, uh, compositions and record re- recordings and they still get maybe, you know, a little windfall from grandpa comes through every now and then of like. Two thousand pounds or something, which that's is lovely. Beautiful. That's like a little gift from him from beyond the grave. God, that's so nice, and it's based on his talent as well yeah. and his forward thinkingness, and that's so lovely. I think that's a good thing that we forget when we hear about these big figures that people get paid up front. We forget that there is a lifetime value, but there's also you can if you do enough things, it, it starts to add up, and you can imagine it's the it's the closest most performers will get to a pension. Yeah, um, and actually that makes sense. So that's what one of the big innovations that the unions have, have sort of forced because you can totally imagine no producer or studio are going to offer that because it's just the hassle of it as well as losing money and flexibility. But the fact that in America it's so unionized, they're able to hold firm. And actually make that happen, and, and it sounds like what's happened here as well with your grandfather. That's so yeah, sweet. Yeah, look him he's up. He's called you Jules money. Rubin. He's got a lovely face. Should we stream him on Spotify continually I've just so that you, you get looked? So that you get another on residual. Spotify. Check. I think he's got. Oh my god, he's got um, a thing on Spotify. Jules Rubin, Savoy, as in as featured in Hollywood season one episode one. I don't know about this. Need to have a look. Um... <laughs> He has apparently nine monthly listeners. Oh, Grandpa! <laughs> well, we can we can help, but also we can help you get your check uh, as well. So, if you wouldn't mind, everyone, we can change it to the theme music for the podcast. Oh my god, we so should. Oh wait, no, then we're the ones paying. No, we shouldn't no, do we that. Mustn't. I'm not. <laughs> oh, how funny! I didn't know that. Well done, everybody. <laughs> there you go. So look up Jules Rubin. Bless him. He looked a little bit like Gershwin. <laughs> lovely well done everyone Very good. Uh, that's yeah. all I have to say about that um, I think that was a lovely episode with some really wonderful characters <laughs> some excellent <laughs> some, some stories absolutely copyrighted characters that were impressions were parodies of yeah. yeah amazing amazing listener questions thank you so much and I don't believe for a second you're from Azerbaijan or Boston <laughs> but please keep them coming it's great thank fun. you both I just, I just don't want to get cancelled um, thank you so much for listening everybody but don't forget if you like this podcast as much as we do which is a lot then please give it a follow in your podcast that leave us a review and a five star rating if you have time um nothing below five stars please um (laughs) if you've got a question that you'd like answered on the show then email us at showmethemoneypod at gmail.com that's showmethemoneypod at gmail.com thank you from pat pat 
thank you from the little boy, and thank you from me, and thank you from Stephen. <laughs> you can do. I wonder if you can do an impression of me. Please don't try. No way. Um, I'll synthesise your voice next time. I don't know what will happen. <laughs> bye bye, everyone. Bye. bye.